This is Detention, a podcast dedicated to candid conversations about education. I'm your host, Dr. Nadia Lopez, a global leader, author, speaker, coach, consultant, and entrepreneur who opened a school to close a prison. Join me as I share my insights and bring fellow disruptors to serve time in conversation. Rebels, let's get into some good trouble. Hey, Detentionites. So this is going to be a two-part episode featuring my daughter, Sine. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, then you know that I discuss current events about education, offer recommendations and solutions to navigating the system, and I also conduct interviews with individuals who I consider to be fellow rebels and disruptors. But this is probably going to be one of the most important conversations I have on this platform because my daughter, the one who inspired me to become an educator, was sacrificed throughout my role as an administrator. (sighs) My work would consume me and it resulted in traumas that she witnessed. So I wanted Sine to share her experience of what it was like to be the daughter of a principal, the pressure she's faced, as well as what educators need to be aware of. While this work is important, we often don't consider the impact it's having on those who are the most significant in our lives. So I want educators, leaders, parents, and those who are listening with young people to know that you have to make time for your loved ones. And I recognize now that I am the foundation and the example for my daughter. And while I can't go back in time to change anything that we've been through, What I had to learn is that I have to give myself grace. I have to be intentional about being present and let go of that superwoman's cape. But most importantly, I have to prioritize Sine because she's what matters the most. So feel free to listen, take notes, because we hope that our story offers some encouragement and inspiration Because what we've been through has required a lot of healing, therapy, and a large dose of honesty. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to invite you to join me for the heart of the matter. It's going to happen on Black Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And this is a free masterclass that I am offering to help you identify if your position in life or the place of employment where you're currently at is either helping you to glow and grow or if it's time to let it go. You can learn more about this event and register at tinyurl.com forward slash heart 1125. Now, don't worry, the link will be in the show notes, but I hope to see you there. Let's get into it. I'm really, really, really excited. I, I, I guess I should say, that I'm always excited to have conversations, but this one is truly a special conversation that's going to be had because it's with my baby girl, my daughter. Uh, um, and we are literally coming off of a vacation uh, and mm-hmm. celebrating your 21st birthday mm-hmm. this past week. Um, and I guess the best place to start is what made this vacation do you think different from other vacations we've ever taken? Um, I think 
I think this vacation was different because it was time for us to be with each other. And I think ever since you've gotten sick, we've ha- we, we haven't had a vacation where it's just you and I just have that time to just sit and talk to each other and have that mother-daughter time. So I think that's what makes this conversation much different. Okay. I could definitely, I could definitely receive that. I think that um, every time we've been on vacation, we've had Abuela with us, which is Mm -hmm. my mom. Um, We've gone on vacation with other people Mm -hmm. like this past month, this past year, we went for your godmother's, Mm -hmm. which is my best friend's wedding. We went away to Orlando because I had work, Mm -hmm. but this time around, it definitely is based off of just us last minute finding a trip to the Bahamas and mm-hmm. actually just getting on a plane and saying we're gonna go mm-hmm. I, I will honestly say in the past I haven't been able to enjoy up mm-hmm. until I got sick mm-hmm. vacations what was vacation like with me before uh you would be in the room or somewhere at the resort doing work and his grandma and I we're at the pool we're at the, <laughs> we're at the the beach we're just hanging out with each other and I think you know at some point I would stop Mm -hmm. but for the majority of the time I was camped out yeah doing professional development um on calls that's what you were doing on vacation (laughs) reading a book yeah like laptop iPad papers everything (laughs) (laughs) but I really wanted to have this conversation with you specifically and also to give you this platform to share because I, as a principal at the time, was doing everything because I really wanted to be the best mom, represent as a leader, show you what it's like to be a strong woman in a position to help children. But the reality is that it was taking away time from us spending Mm -hmm. quality time. And there's something to be said about the kids of people in positions of like leadership, Mm -hmm. specifically a principal, because it comes with a lot of pressure. Yeah. People have a lot of expectations Mm -hmm. and we will get into that and you know what, how that makes you feel, but I want you to really be able to just share what was it like? And I want you to be fully honest Mm -hmm. um, because We've already had conversations. We've done a lot of healing around it. What was it like growing up with a parent who, not just being an educator, but under the title of school principal? Um, I would say it was, it was hard. I think especially in middle school, um, like you were saying, it was so many expectations, and educators and my school specifically, they didn't give me grace at times. So there'll be times where it's like, oh, you know, your mom is a principal, you're not performing the best. Or it was just times where I felt like there was a microscope on me and and I wasn't able to be myself. I always had to be like this goody two shoe. Mm -hmm. I had to how is it? I had to almost be perfect. And in sixth grade, I was what, like 
11 you 10 11 you had just turned 11 yeah like that age where people have so many expectations for you and you know I'm not I don't have the opportunity to just breathe you know it was just really hard I mean I did purposely put you in that school simply because one it was 6th through 12th grade I didn't want to have to go mm-hmm. through the process of looking for a high school mm-hmm. I wanted you to be settled and they did have a really great um program where you could get your associate's degree um so this happened to be mega Everest prep mm-hmm. uh high school middle high school that was in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and just because of my makeup you know uh afro caribbean latina it was important for there to be a school of individuals who understood what it was like to grow up in a caribbean household where it was the village could talk to the children mm-hmm. and and it wasn't about like we mind our business no if they see your child doing something someone is going to make a phone call and <laughs> they did not hesitate to do that so i was i was grateful to them and also mm-hmm. your grandmother being there um, but that whole idea of grace, and I know a lot of educators at your school didn't give you grace, but I also feel like I didn't give you grace either. Mm-hmm. Like I was adamant about Sine in general, you being able to come home and do your work. Like I was mm-hmm. like, don't come to, just like my mother did me, don't come home and not know how to do your work. Don't come home. And let me find out someone said something about you because I have to deal with young people who don't have access, who don't have privileges. Mm -hmm. So my expectation is that you do perform at a higher level. My expectation is that you aren't getting into trouble, but at the same time, you are a kid who's a middle schooler Mm -hmm. and you're going through the motions of just growing up through adolescence. And that was a whole other thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But then there was also this dynamic of I was a single mom Mm -hmm. because your dad and I were no longer together. We had gotten a divorce. And that was also hard because we went from living in Georgia at one time. Mm -hmm. That was good. Um, But then you had teachers who weren't really understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you remember the teacher yeah miss brown i do remember her i just remember there was times she would ask me questions and i would answer them and then she would just get mad because i don't know i just i think coming from new york to georgia the um curriculum is so different mm-hmm. and as a first grader right i knew yeah. so much more than the kids in the classroom so when everyone else was working on this particular assignment, I was already finished and I would just, you know, be bored because I already did majority of what she's teaching us. And I just remember times she would just just question me and be like, you know, are you sure you know how to do this or, you know, just little things like that. But I don't remember like a great experience in that class. And no, and and you wouldn't remember that because I was at that school a lot. (laughs) And I remember specifically because when we started um, the whole process of going into the school system here in Georgia, it was different. 
-hmm. I wanted one, a better life for you. I wanted to get away from New York. It had been a lot going through, um, starting the process of accepting that your dad and I, I needed to get a divorce, but I needed a separate space so that all the things that I had promised you while we were married, you were going to still have a house, um, the freedom to just breathe and be a kid. And I felt like New York, it just wasn't that. Mm -hmm. um, so we came down here. Great. I remember the first meeting of Ms. Brown. Well, it wasn't the first meeting. I sent her an email to let her know just about you, that you were a social butterfly and I needed you to be challenged. And she was like, oh, don't worry. We'll meet on the first like parent family day or something like that. So you get to meet the teacher, you get to learn about the curriculum. And I was excited because I was like, okay, she's going to be on the same page as me. And she wasn't. And just for full context, she was a white woman. And the majority of the class were not kids of color. I feel like they might have been one other kid in your mm -hmm. class who was, I don't know if it was a girl. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first thing Ms. Brown said is, I don't give homework. I'm planning a wedding. And, you know, I'm just so excited about like what my life is going to look like. And I thought to myself, I'm not here for you and your wedding. I'm here because I want my daughter to get the best education. And you had come from, you had already gone to Little Sun People in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. which is a, a independent uh, Black kind of like what we call a Montessori school where kids learn through play, but they also learn the traditions um, as children of color of African descent. And then you went to Rainbow Campus. Mm -hmm. And at Rainbow Campus, you were accelerated. You learned from a Caribbean teacher mm -hmm. and that was all good. And then you come here where everything is lax. Yeah. <laughs> and, I remember not having homework. Yeah, you didn't have my homework. My neighbor used to always have homework. And she's like, Sine, where's your homework? And like, you didn't have, have any. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this is not going to work. And all the moms in there were like, oh, yes, she doesn't have, she's not going to give out homework. And I was like, I'm so confused by why y'all so excited. Mm -hmm. And so you would come home and say, mommy, can we go to the teacher store? And I remember being so annoyed. Like, what do you mean, Sine? Why do we have to go to the teacher store? You was like, I want to get some books to do some activities. And I mean, that's partly me. I always had you doing things. So we would go to the teacher store. And then at some point I told you, I was like, you know, you have to be mindful of who you are in this space because they're going to think you're not as smart and you're not as capable. And I had to prepare you in that way because you were coming from a place where you were majority black mm -hmm. children to now you were the minority. Mm -hmm. And literally what ended up happening was um, you, there was some letter that I got that said you needed to be in remedial English classes. And I was like, I'm so confused. And so I went to the school with all of your books and all of your work. And I said, she's on a fourth grade level. She's doing fractions. And these are the books she's reading. And they looked at me. And I remember the assistant principal saying, can I, can I test her? Like, can I, can I just sit with her on my own and just do an assessment? And I said, Absolutely. And three days later, I got a letter saying that you would be pulled out for English. And I was like, oh, how interesting is that? How interesting is it that now all of a sudden you go from remedial intervention to now you're going to enrichment? So that was the first issue. But because of that, Ms. Brown started sending me emails every single week about your attitude. 
that you were rolling your eyes. And another email was like, I need to teach you the word respect. And I remember pulling up and you were running around because Marie and Alexis or somebody used to pick you up next door. I had neighbors who were babysitting you. And I pulled up by my face. As soon as I opened the door of the car, your face, you were like, I said, Sine. And the way I said it, Sine Tyler. And that usually meant like, <laughs> it wasn't because she was getting, a, a, you know, something good being said. It was because I was being stern. And I said, why would the teacher send me an email about respect? And you kind of froze. And I said, what happened in school? And you said, she told us we had to get up for math to do counting. And you were like, I already know the answer. I don't need to get up. And she was like, Sine, you need to get up and count and learn how to count. And you were like, I already know how to count. I don't need to learn how to count. My mother told me if I know how to learn that I don't have to do that. And what I told you was to know your style of learning. And she took that as disrespect. And so what I started to see is that your black girl magic was being stolen. And this teacher was creating a paper trail to say how much of a problem you were, as opposed to meeting you where you were at. And this was now October. And I was like, we just started in August. I'm not staying here. So October 31st, 2007, we drove back to New York, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then the following year after that, I started the leadership program. I was mm -hmm. like, I wanna, I, I'm, it's time for me to become a school administrator and I ended up writing the proposal to open a school. But in between that, there were things that happened when I was an assistant principal and more of it was around, I got injured. Mm -hmm. You remember that? I remember, I remember you were home and you were just laying down and you were like, Nene, I don't feel well. And you would have to help me to the bathroom. Mm -hmm you would get me, you know, something to drink and you would lay next to me and be like, mommy, you're going to be okay. And I think that for me, that broke my heart because you shouldn't have seen me in such a broken state. Right. And what it started to introduce you to was trauma in the workplace. But here I am talking about, I want to be a principal or I'm in a position of a assistant principal and every time you're seeing me in this workplace, I'm hurting in some way. You came with me to the emergency room with Abuela. I remember that, like y'all were literally inside the emergency room with me because that's when they diagnosed me with the ulcer, um, insomnia, I hadn't been sleeping and depression. And I was so adamant that I wasn't depressed and you walked in while the doctor was talking to me and I told you to go find your grandmother and I started crying and the doctor said, oh, you're depressed. <laughs> like that, that's a sign of depression. And I felt like I was failing you in so many ways. Um, and then I finally, oh, that year I finally, and then, no, that was one. And then the next time I fell down a flight of steps and you had to help me in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And then I made the announcement that I was opening up the school. Mm -hmm. And then it was, you know, fight, fight, fight still. And then at the end of that school year, I got thrown into the into the of the brick wall. The brick wall, and once again, I was home, and you had you had to witness all of this. You had to take care of me, and here I am saying I'm going to be a principal and I'm going to change the world through kids, and you looking at me like, you want some water? 
<laughs> you want you know it's crazy I don't remember like those moments are like blocked out are they and why do you think that I think honestly it's like those times were so dark and I don't like to revisit it mm-hmm. because at that time like I was just angry that you had to go through this and you were in spaces where you're fighting for kids and people aren't being receptive of that and they're they're trying to hurt you because you're trying to fight for kids so I think there's a lot of stuff like I've blocked out because it's like I don't want to think about that and get emotional you know yeah so and I thank you for sharing that because you were literally eight years old and that meant that you were in fourth grade having to process this because you were at CS21 Mm -hmm. um and that's when grandma used to come to the school she would pray for me then she would leave by two o'clock to make sure she was home so she could meet you because there was a driver who would drop you off every single day. Mm-hmm. So you had you had the privilege of being picked up <laughs> and being dropped off. Um, and then I ended up going, opening up my Bridges Academy and like all of my time was consumed. Mm-hmm. Every single waking moment. Um, what was that experience like for you? Um, I mean, I didn't, not I didn't feel like you weren't there because the way, I think that was like fourth grade, I was just always busy doing something. I was like, I think in elementary, I was in cheerleading. Mm-hmm. I would stay at school. So I didn't really feel like you were missing mm-hmm. and then for middle school I felt it like if I needed help with homework and grandma wasn't able to help me because she doesn't understand what's going on and yeah. she's trying her best but there's but so much she can do so yeah it was I think middle school was really hard but high school at that time I finished majority of my courses and I was starting the smart scholars program so I didn't feel it as much in high school but how how that was it was really hard I feel like in middle school and again I think I felt it more when teachers would always say you know say your homework isn't that great but your mom is a principal and it's and how can I say, well, my mom is not home to help me, you know? Right. So, cause that makes me look bad and that makes you look bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was just, it was just tough in middle school. I think especially sixth and seventh grade. Yeah. Sixth grade, you had that science teacher. I don't want to say her name, but yeah, you had the science teacher who was very, she was intentional about the type of paper yeah the college ruled but it had to be a certain size and I was like but why because even in college you don't even need that type of paper you don't even use it's 
she was doing the most. And I remember before we even went to parent teachers conference, I said to you, Sinead, you better be on your A game because people are going to have this perception about you and they're just going to say, you're not as smart. And I remember her saying, oh, I don't know if this is the right school for her because she has a problem with reading. And I was like, here we go. And so we were in the meeting together and I said, so in other words, Sinead, she doesn't think you're smart. And she just looked at me like she was horrified at what I said and how I said it. And I said, there's no need for you to clean it because you literally said you don't believe this is the right school for her. The only kids who come to the school are kids who are accelerated and advanced. Mm -hmm. And you had to even work hard. Like I didn't get you into that school. Remember, mm -hmm. like they literally did not accept you. And someone asked me about why didn't you get into, the, if you had gotten into the school? And I was like, oh, she got a letter that said she couldn't go in. And I said to you, there's something you need to do so that you can become better from this experience. You remember what mm -hmm. I told you to do? Was it the... Was it to write a letter or something? To write a letter and to request a meeting with Dr. Wilshire. Mm -hmm. And he was so taken aback that you took that initiative that he scheduled a time for us to go in and I let you go and talk to him. And you had asked him, you was like, I just want to know how can I improve myself because this is a school I really wanted to go to, but I wasn't, obviously I wasn't qualified. And then he had a conversation with you. And then he called me in after and was like, I'm going to accept her. And I was like, oh, are you? And he was like, yes. He was like, the fact that she took the initiative to ask why she couldn't get in and wanted to know how she could improve herself moving forward speaks volumes. So that's how you ended up at that school. And so I told you every single time you would have to work hard because people are always going to underestimate you. So the science teacher was the first person. And then after that, after she said that in, in our conversation, you accelerated in that class. Then you had a math, uh, a, an a English teacher who I couldn't stand. And I will say that clearly because I felt like he was a bully and he was making up work that didn't make sense to me. He was, he was just literally making up work and he was, he was taking it out on you all as children. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to go up to the school for that. So one they, of the many times one of the many times I was that friend whose parent was always at the school so if you know my mom is at the school you know something is wrong right like, everybody knew the safety officers was like oh my god yeah <laughs> my friends would be like oh my god what happened now I'm like, I'll tell y'all later it was you would just know <laughs> if my grandmother comes she's coming to drop off gifts yeah gifts. if my mom comes I something was not is, here for that she's talking to Dr. Wilshire she's coming for somebody and I'll just be there in the meeting like oh my god I was even coming for you one time because I told you not to be with a set of friends because Miss Lewis was like you know Sine has this group of friends that she tends to like follow gravitate to them and I was like oh I raised a follower I like I literally remember talking outside in the in we were across the street from the school and I had my cafeteria voice and you were like, can you not embarrass me? I was like, no, stop, yeah. stop hanging out with them. And I'll stop, <laughs> I'll stop using my voice like this. And you were so like, I cannot believe you would do this to me. But it was a matter of 
they needed to know I'm still your parent and I needed you to understand that I'm still your parent. And there's adults always know who are the kids who are not the best influence. Mm -hmm. And I also knew because you were always seeking acceptance and your dad not being there and me not being there because of work you wanted to feel like a sense of belonging. And you, you know, a lot of kids, they just gravitate to the kids who show them that love, but that love is coming because they're missing things and they're making decisions that aren't sound. So I was like, no, what we're not gonna do is have you fall into this trap. And then you become that rebellious child that you have to really learn the hard way. And it's hard for you to correct, course correct those things without there being some type of casualty, whether it's mm -hmm. time, whether it's your future, whatever it is. And so, um, so I didn't have to, I, it was only one, one or two times I had to come up just because you did something, but then there was the math teacher who you loved wow. math. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you were like, mommy, he has favorites. And I was like, what? Like I didn't register at first. I was like, Sine, just, you know, talk to him, just try to figure out, like, I was trying to be the mediator. And then one day you was like, ma, it's not like that. He intentionally has favorites mm -hmm. and I was like okay when you went to school you called me and I said let me talk to him and it went downhill from there I remember I was at the Dominican salon I had big rollers in my hair and he said to me that you, instead of addressing the issue of how you were feeling he said to me that you were coming to school late and I said I drop her off every day how was she coming to school late and then he told me I was beating a dead horse I left the I left the salon with the rollers and miss a, an AP, I don't want to say her name either, was like, oh, you could talk to her, him. And I said, not right now. And then I came back the Monday and you were embarrassed. Were you embarrassed? I mean, he said that to be petty because I remember I, okay, so our class was on the fifth floor. So walking from the first floor to the fifth floor, mm -hmm. Sine Tyler is not going straight up. I'm going to walk through the hallway, go up, walk through the hallway, go up. And I literally got to class 8.06. I walked in 8.06. So he did that. But what time petty. did class start? It was 8.05. Okay. So he, he did that to be petty. But was I embarrassed? No. It was when you came up, I was so lost. <laughs> I was like, what are you up here for? She's like, because you came to class late. I said, mom, by a minute. So that's why I was just there like, wow. But I mean, it was a little embarrassing amongst, you know, my classmates because you came to my, I feel like, yeah, that was a Chinese class. So you came during the Chinese. Was Chinese, was it Chinese or was that computer science? No, it was Chinese. It was. I came up there because the teacher had said something about, your performance in class something and I knew you liked Chinese there was something that happened and then I came to the school but one of your one of your classmates decided she was gonna make a comment and I wasn't there for her I you know I, and that's how I got the name cookie yeah <laughs> from empire because I wasn't talking to her I was talking first you responded to her saying something and I told you you didn't have to do that but then I felt I needed to correct her because as a parent I needed her to understand I was there for your own personal well-being and your success. And if her mother decided to come in there, she had that right too. So what we weren't about to do is 
make you feel bad or do the whole like, oh, Sine, your mom had to come up. Yeah, your mom came up because I want to know that you're doing well, but I also want to know that this teacher is being fair in the process. And then after that, she didn't really have nothing to say. But I think the worst of the worst was the teacher who intentionally used to call you Little Miss Principal. Yeah. And that was an absolute no-no. Yeah. And you you express how that made you feel. And there's a lot of kids whose parents are in education who may go through the same thing. Mm-hmm. What did that make you feel like? Uh, It didn't make me feel good because it was the first day of class and you're calling me Little Miss Principal. And it was in a way where... I don't, just to give context, so she started calling me that because one, I think we were doing introductions, she found out, and then we had like a bake sale for the class. And I said, I'm, I, I was very clear, I'm not bringing food in for a bake sale. That's, that has nothing to do with me. And she was so adamant about me bringing food and she was saying oh your mom is a principal so that's when it kept going and going and it just it didn't make me feel good because you know your classmates just looking like oh her mom is a principal and don't want to help out with the bake sale it just it didn't make me feel good and it was just a reminder to me that you're a principal and I wasn't having my own identity as Mm. Sine. So. And just to bring context, Sine just knew I wasn't that parent. I wasn't the fundraising parent. Like, yeah, no, she's very much, I'll cut a check. I'll cut a check, but don't ask me to do all of those things because I just don't have time. Yeah. And she wanted, she said to Sine, well, your mom, she could just make something quick. I know she can because she's a principal. And that set me off because you don't know me. Yeah. And so I called her. I told Sine to have her call me and she did. And I told her first and foremost, I gave Sine an entire name. She had choices. She can either call her Sine. She could call her Miss Anderson. She could call her Sine Anderson, but nothing else. And she was like, oh, I give all the kids a nickname. And I didn't authorize you to give a nickname to my child. The only name you can call her are these names. And she was like, you know, I don't understand why you're so offended because again, I named her. And so I don't want you calling her anything else. It makes her feel really uncomfortable. And it actually is causing her to feel ostracized in her class. Second thing is, I don't even know why you need a bake sale because she didn't send any paperwork home. She didn't have an explanation. So you're not going to tell my daughter what I, the adult, will do. So I remember after that conversation, because now she felt uncomfortable, she wanted to get off the phone. And I said to her, I told you to call me when you had time. So now you want to rush me off the phone, not a problem. So I went up to the school and then I asked Dr. Wilshire, don't be shaking your head. I mean, I needed to know. No, but it's just, I remember every time you hear went to school, it was so funny, but it was just, I looked at her and I was just like, you don't know what you just started. You... Right, because then I saw her in the hallway and she tried to like, oh, hi, Dr. Lopez or whatever she said. And I was like, I'm not here for you to now smile in my face. You didn't have time. So I'm going to speak to your 
principle. And then I asked him specifically, what was the, the, um, bake sale for, and he could not explain to me. He was like, I had no idea there was a bake sale. So what you raising money for? There's no paperwork. There's no authorization by your principal. So no, see, all of this just sounds crazy. So from that day forward, she can never, ever speak to me. She tried, but my thing is, you know, I'm all about educators. I'm all about, you know, um, levels of respect, but I also want folks to recognize that you cannot leverage your power and position as an educator to target kids in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable right like I didn't become a principal so my daughter had that edge I came up became a principal because I wanted to have impact in the education system and 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 make sure that children had opportunities you don't get to use that like half of the time I never even introduced myself as what I do just because I didn't want Sineda to feel away but the minute people weren't giving her what she deserved I was very clear on letting them know who I was. And then they had to check themselves because they knew I knew what to expect. Yeah. Right. So I think that that was fair. Yeah. I mean, it did with that particular teacher incident. It didn't stop from there, but I yeah. think it didn't, but I had to ch keep checking her yeah. and I was not going to stop going up to the school. Um, yeah. So I think in that, those moments of you checking people, it made me realize and prepared me for college what, mm -hmm. I, what I should expect from a professor. And if they're not providing me with the proper material, I could always go to their boss. Right. Because that same teacher was also in charge of Smart Scholars. Yeah. And so Smart Scholars was the program that would allow Sine to enter the college courses Mm -hmm. to get the credits to graduate with an associate's degree and so what did she do so she purposely did not um accept me into the program and tried to say that um she sent out the acceptance letter but something in the system must have changed my address but i've been attending that school since 6th grade and my neighbor He's been there since ninth grade and he got the letter and I didn't get the letter. So it was a lot of hoorah with that. It was. So then I had to, I told Sine that she needed to advocate for herself, that I wasn't going to step in simply yeah. because when she did go to college, things like this will happen, that there's going to be a person who feels like they have a position and they're going to try to deny you. Mm -hmm. And it is their responsibility to provide just cause with evidence as to why you're not qualified. Yeah. So at that point, you met with Dr. Wilshire. Mm -hmm. And part of the issue was because of, he said, your lateness. Yeah. And you know, what's funny, everyone in who decided to apply for the program, we were all late. Like we had, I don't want to say how many times because it's actually crazy thinking back but we were all late around the same time so he was concerned about the lateness but Dr. Wilshire knew what I was capable of doing and that's why I will always have a love and respect for Dr. Wilshire because he always advocated for me and he always pushed me mm -hmm. and he always wanted to challenge me 
And he told me before I graduate, before I graduated, that he said I was the most improved student in my class. So just him saying that in that moment just made me feel so grateful. But at that time, I knew he was saying, you know, your lateness, I'm a little bit concerned with that. It pushed me to want it even more. And just seeing how this particular teacher tried to do everything in her power for me not to be in the program. It was really bothersome because one, you're a grown woman and mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're taking your issues that you, well, that you started, but that you have with my mom onto me. And I just want to make a note for all the educators out there, what you do to a child can sit with them for the rest of their lives. And you have such a powerful occupation and it goes beyond um, that year that you teach a particular student. Mm -hmm. Because to this day, I remember having to go to the office and telling them I, I should be in the program. I remember walking from that office home, just crying, thinking, why could someone do such a thing to a child, mm -hmm. you know? And it, in that moment, it just made me realize how, not how evil people can be, but especially as an educator, if I didn't have you in my corner telling me, Sinead, you need to advocate for yourself. I probably wouldn't have and not been able to graduate with that um, degree. Yeah. So, you know, just going through that made me push harder and made me want to complete the, um, the program. But just the process of getting in, and it just happened, it happened to me. I think I was the only person that had to deal with that. So all of my other friends, they're, they're in their same classes um and they got in they got in it's all these <laughs> things and it's just like why is this happening to me I mean but it also speaks to a couple of things right so one I could have easily went up to the school mm -hmm. and said so I want her in this program and I I didn't do that I purposely said Sinead you're gonna have to learn as a young black woman growing up where you do, you're going to have to use your voice. You cannot rely on who your mother is, even though for other people that can work, but I needed her to have her own agency. So I mm -hmm. said to you, you got to go and you got to speak to Dr. Wilshire. The second thing was the lateness was because of that same teacher, the math teacher who you were avoiding because of the way he made you feel. Mm -hmm. So they had to be like, you didn't just choose not to want to go to school. It was a valid reason of which the school needed to address, right? Because he was making a lot of other young people feel the same way. But the third thing was, you know, my, my philosophy, man says no, but God says yes. And if you want something bad enough, the way you did, I said, so write it down, make it plain, and you go see Dr. Wilshire. And you did that. And that was your second time. You did that when you didn't get into the school, mm -hmm. right? And you wrote him a letter, and he met with you and you advocated for yourself. The second time, the same thing happened. And to give you your props, 
now you are in college mm -hmm. pursuing a STEM focused degree in cybersecurity, information technology with a minor in FinTech. In FinTech. And you have received a 4.0 every semester. And that's not to put pressure on you, but mm -hmm. that's just talk about your dedication as a student of which this person didn't see that and said that mm -hmm. you weren't qualified. How many other young people have experienced the same thing? And because of her actions, and they didn't have a parent like me, dropped out of the program or just felt like they weren't going to be good enough for college. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, again, I'm all about educators, but they're also there needs to be an understanding that your words do affect young people. And, and I was, yeah. I was like that because I always told you my high school 11th grade teacher, I didn't like trigonometry. I wasn't a math person at all. And she denied me. She literally called my mother and said, because I avoided her class. Cause I could not understand. I felt like I was learning gibberish. I was like, what? Even though I could speak gibberish, but <laughs> like, but what is this? And so every day I got to school on time. But I was downstairs playing spades with my friends. And so I would walk up in time for the second period. And she literally told me off in front of all of my classmates on the second floor how I was never going to go to college and then called my mom and said the same thing. And because of that, I was so angry and livid. And my mother, she wasn't me, but she also knew like, this isn't my daughter, like something must be wrong. And I was just going through my own stuff. I was going through adolescent stuff with my parents being separated and all these things. And I refuse, I refuse to let this woman take my life. And I was like, I am going to go to college. Cause I knew that was the one thing I was going to college. And as God would have it, I ended up going to college. I ended up getting my degree, ended up in education, worked with her daughter, didn't even know it was her daughter. And then <laughs> we had a conversation and come to find out her mom was the same teacher who made me feel the way that I had just told her. I said, I had a teacher and she, I couldn't stand her. Like I said, I couldn't stand her because of the way she spoke to me. And then out of nowhere, she was like, my mom worked in Harlem. And I was like, and she was a math teacher. And then she said her last name. And I said, that's the same teacher. And she was like, what? I said, that's the same teacher. Her mom came to the school for a dance recital because my colleague was the dance teacher and she apologized. She apologized. And just like you said, I held that from 1994 and she saw me, I had her in 19, no, I had her in 1993, 1992, 93. I held that feeling all the way up until 2004 when I saw her, 10 years, right? I could have easily not went to college because of what she said. Mm -hmm. Right. But you have overcome, you have been a shining star. <laughs> um, but here comes 2019. You are gonna graduate high school. Mm -hmm. Um, you're getting ready for your prom. And I ended up having to go with you to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that day. I remember I was in the um, senior room. We were all talking like, oh my God, we can't wait to go to college. And you texting, you said, I'm not feeling well, I'm gonna go to the hospital. 
And I remember all my friends, we were going to go somewhere. And I said, I can't go. And they're like, why? I'm like, I was like, mommy's not feeling well. And I don't ever want on my conscience that I went out with my friends and I knew my mom was about to be in the hospital by herself. Mm-hmm. So I remember I rushed home. I remember I got up, I literally got up and left. I went home and I said, what, what are we about to do? Mm-hmm. And we went to, is it Mamamani's? Mamamani's hospital. And we were there for like nine hours. Yeah. Um, There was so many people in that hospital. It was, it didn't make no sense how it was. Like the mm-hmm. emergency room. It, was, it wasn't even rooms. Like, yeah, they had to make rooms. It was, I, it was like beds in front of me. Like, I don't think yeah. people understand. When you go into emergency room, you have like, the waiting area and then from the waiting area they put you in a semi like a triage room mm-hmm. like a space there was like I was in a holding space but there was a bed in front of me like yeah it didn't make no sense it was like Grey's Anatomy on Grey's Anatomy it felt like it was crazy like if we was in a shanty town and they just they turned us yeah. a, a medical a, it like a med vac like yeah it didn't make no sense coming in <laughs> i was like oh no oh it, it just didn't make sense and they were adamant that i must have had kidney stones because i had your blood in my urine and um this was the this was the second time because the first time i ended up at the doctor's office and then we had to go prom shopping i remember that weekend we were going prom shopping and went to look at all these beautiful, amazing gowns. And if there's one thing I love, it is to shop. <laughs> like it brings me joy. And as young as Sinead is, she cannot hang with me and my mother. Like we go for broke. Sinead be like, I'm so tired. We're like, okay, well you can sit right here with the bag and we'll keep going. I couldn't, we, we went to one dress place and I was exhausted. And I remember calling a doctor, like something is wrong. And he said, how do you, what, what do you mean? How do you know? I said, I don't want to shop. And he said, what? I said, I don't feel good. So he told me that I had to come to the office that Tuesday because it was Memorial day weekend. Mm-hmm. And, um, I went that Tuesday and he was like, you got to go to the emergency room. And I called Sine and I said, I don't feel good. I'm gonna have to probably go to the emergency room. And Sine was like, I'm, you know, I was like, you know, I don't have anybody else to go with me. And she was like, I'll come with you. Um, and even Keith was like, you need, you take, have Sine come with you. And I was like, I don't want her to come with me because she's, you know, a senior and she's doing these activities. He was like, well, let her make that decision. And then Sine was like, I'm coming. And um, we stayed there for hours and hours and hours and they didn't know what was wrong. And I ended up staying home. And um which would and that's how I knew something was wrong (laughs) I'm like you're home every day yeah it was such it was it was I say it was was, I wasn't used to that right so it's three o'clock she's she's like Sine where are you I'm like yeah like I didn't have nothing else to do I'm like I'm at school I'm hanging on my friends and (laughs) me where am I what am I doing and what's interesting is the only time I've ever been home that long is when I had you like when I had you I stayed home for almost a year like a year straight I did like a gradual return back to work and even then I only worked two days a week but I never have been home even if it was a, a holiday 
I was still at work or I was at some event. Like I was doing something. I was never like, oh, let me just chill. Days at a time. Oh, no. please. I was like, oh. So I was home every single day. And here was Sine having to prepare for high school graduation and her prom. And I remember taking her to go get her hair done. And that's when I was texting a doctor because at this point it's almost a month and they didn't tell me what was wrong. And then he texted me back what my symptoms were, what my diagnosis was. Um, but I couldn't even process it because I wanted to be in the moment with Sine and her getting her hair done. And then then it was her prom and preparing for that. Um, and then it was graduation. And then on, she had two graduations. So your first graduation was? It was like June 4th. It was the first week of June. And then that was for the college graduation. And it was at Mega Evers. It was at Barclays mm -hmm. because it was the college. And they had called in the middle of her graduation. I saw I missed a call from the hospital. So I step out and they were like, you have to get a biopsy done. It wasn't even like, hi, how are you? Is everything good? Like, set me up. The woman was like, hi, I'm calling because the doctor needs to schedule a biopsy. And I was like, what? And I remember Uncle Marlon was in the, he came to the graduation too. And I was in the hallway and I start crying. And he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, they just said, I need to get a biopsy done. And he was like, okay, you don't know what it means. Just take a breath. It's Sine's day. You know, don't, don't let yourself get consumed by this. And um, I literally, I wanted, I, I, I didn't even know how to be. I didn't even, cause I didn't have any answers. And um after that, like, I think I, I just kind of went numb because I couldn't process anything because biopsy never sounds good. Biopsy mm -hmm. is like connected to cancer or there's something really wrong. Um, but I wanted again to be in a moment for you. We went out mm -hmm. to have something to eat. And then you went to hang out with your friends. I was like, go ahead, have fun. Um, and then you had your second graduation and it was hot and I was out in the sun and I was just... I think I had started taking at that point, they might've given me steroids mm -hmm. and the sun was not helping. And they didn't, you know, tell me the interactions with the sun. Um, and then from there, it was just like a slow decline just on how I felt, how I looked. We went to the wedding. We were supposed mm -hmm. to spend the night my cousin got married and I, I rented a room and I forgot the medication and they were like, you cannot miss a dosage. Mm -hmm. So we literally left at like, a little after midnight from Jersey back to Brooklyn, just so I could take this medication. Um, and it was hard. Yeah, it was hard. Cause it was also like, you were trying to prepare for, you were trying to prepare to finally be away and be independent at school. And I remember that's when you had the breakdown because I had just started therapy and I, I was, I was starting to unpack my guilt of how I wasn't fully present for you. And you wanted duvets for your bed. Sine, my mother had convinced Sine that she should get 10 duvets. And if y'all know what duvets are, you it's a covering for the for the comforter, right? <laughs> it's a covering for the comforter. And I was like, yo, you need like three. 
you're in college, you need three, just rotation, put one on, have two, you switch it up, you change up three. Sinead decided she wanted 10. And you also needed to go to UPS and have this, these boxes delivered because we were going to drive down to Georgia. So we needed the boxes to meet us at our house here in Georgia. And I said to you, did you call them? First you were like something with the duvets. And then I was like, did you call, did you make the arrangement with UPS? And I know it's emotional, you know, you know, I know you are tearing up here, but I said, you don't need that. And out of nowhere, you broke, like, you've never been there for me. You, if it was your, your scholars, you would want all of them to have it. You would have bought them all of their stuff. You went, you always make it hard for me. I'm tired of it. Like you, it was from, it was from your soul. It was from your soul. You were crying, you were yelling. And I sat and I looked at you and it like for a minute, I could not hear. Like, it just was like, I was in an air tunnel and you just hear like when you're in a train and you just hear the warp sound. And I looked at you, I saw the tears, I saw the anger, and then it came back like the sound. And I said, I need you to stop yelling. I said, please stop yelling at me. And I apologize because that's all I could do. And I said, I just came from therapy and I want you to know, I feel guilty for not being there for you. I understand how I have failed in being fully present but what you cannot do is yell at me and I just think that at that moment and I'll let you share but I want to say from that moment I fully saw the hurt and pain and everything that you were holding in and something as small as duvet covers you felt that you had played an insignificant role in my life and I think what was more telling in that in that minute was you were the reason why I even got into education. Like you were my inspiration to all of it. And I was so grateful, even in my sickness, to be with you because I didn't have to choose between being at work and being fully present for you. But like for the first time, I didn't have to, how am I going to? make sure my schedule allows for me not to be strong held at this job and I could be there for Sinead because your high school graduation, not the college graduation, the high school graduation was the same day as the last day of school, which would have meant if I was a principal, I would have to be at school to close it out while you were at your, gra you know, at your graduation or figure out who was going to manage because technically the principal should be there. For your prom, that meant I would have to be at school and then make my way over and not have the full day with you. And so I was dealing with my own guilt of, I didn't feel like I was a full mom. I don't know if I'm dying. And the way it's being set up is, this isn't good. I had done everything for everyone else and I hadn't prioritized you. What kind of mother was I?
and it broke my heart. And so when you were yelling at me, I was like, I can't take this. I know she's mad, but she needs to understand that it was not intentional. What was that release about? Yeah, I don't even remember half. I remember we were talking about the duvets. And then I remember after we were talking, but I don't remember like yelling. You like blacked out. And that sometimes is a form of protection, right? Like when we black out and we can't remember the thing. Um, and it's also sometimes it's just the enormity of what you're experiencing. Just you don't know, but you needed to get that out. Um, and I said to you, Sunae, I'm here. I'm going to be here. I'm going to take you to school. I'm going to help you get you, you know, ready for your dorm. And I think that was the saving grace. Like as much as it was a hard time to go through that medically, it was the first time that I could fully be present as a mom. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Because I think even now, just trying to think back, I just I remember our moments, but since you got sick, so probably like August 2019 to now, like I remember everything vividly mm -hmm. from like before I like blocked so much out. <sighs> Take a breath. Take a breath. And I know that, like, that's really bad. Like, that I blocked all of that out. But now I just, I like to live in the present and think about the future. I don't like thinking about the past. Which I know I should because that's not healthy, but I think that keeps me going. Well, it's also the reason why I said you have to be open to therapy, right? Because... Some of this is not just these moments now. It also, our childhood affects us. And there's a lot that, you know, needs to be unpacked because there's unresolved issues. And as much as I'm here and I'm open about stuff, you have your own experiences. You have your own narrative of what happened based off of you. I know what, as your mom and the things I needed to do to protect you and to still be able to provide for you, I have my own story, but you as the young person, the little girl who didn't have both parents in the household and still had to like do well in school and still, you know, be happy and not sad and, and not know how to use language to say I'm hurting, right. Without feeling like if I say I'm hurting, I'm going to be offending someone. Like there's all these things you have to navigate. And so that's why I'm always open about why I go to therapy. I'm always open about, Sine, it is okay. Like, I'm like, I am this, I'm going to therapy. I'll see you <laughs> when I come back, right? Because there was a time when I remember saying to you, I can't mother you right now. Like, Sine, I don't have the capacity 
of mothering you. Give me an hour because I needed to regroup. Because I didn't want you to feel like I was neglecting you and didn't want to talk to you, but I just could not pour any much more out of what I didn't have. And it's unfortunate because my whole day was spent having to pour into people. But when I got home, I was so tired. I didn't have it. And so there's a lot that people in positions of principle, we don't recognize how much we deprive our own children when we're giving to everybody else's children. And we don't recognize that in your formative years, how you're forming yourselves and how you're developing your identity. I may have given you a village of people, your grandmother, your grandfather, aunts, uncles, extended family members, all of these individuals who surrounded you, but it's nothing like your mom. It's nothing like your dad. It's important that you have both of us here and able to really give you what you needed. So I want us to take a breath. And I just, I want you to know how much I love you. And then when we return, it's going to be a shorter part of the interview to speak to where you are now, your successes and what you're up to. Cause that's really like the, 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 the silver lining because you truly are my legacy. As much as the school was that you are really the legacy. Okay. Yeah. Say yes. Yes. <laughs> You've gotten through part one. We actually had to pause because I needed to honor the emotions that Sine was reliving and give her the time and space to breathe, find her center, and give me the permission to move forward. We got through the heaviest part of our conversation, and I promise part two, we spent a lot more time talking about what she's up to now and how my transition from the principalship has positively impacted our relationship. But there are a few takeaways that I wanted to highlight. One, if you resonated with the story and have one that's similar, give yourself grace. As an educator, we step into a calling wanting to make the very best decisions for children. And sometimes our working conditions and even the way our profession is seen in society forces us to live up to an expectation that we have to go up above and beyond the call of duty. You're not alone in this. But in hearing my journey, I want you to recognize that the impact you're having on young people in a classroom or in a school building can often come at a sacrifice. And it not only impacts you, but your loved ones. The second thing is I want you to also recognize that you should never hesitate to hold other educators accountable. You know, growing up, my mom always would say she would trust the word of an adult, especially those who were in schools. I remember there was a school aide in my elementary school who lied about an incident that involved some young men and she tried to say that I was being inappropriate. Anyone who knew me knew that that didn't even fit my character. And because of that, it was the first time that I learned to speak up for myself against an adult. That very incident I held with me. And when it came to Sine, it wasn't about just listening to an adult 
and their side of the story. It was also knowing who my child is and making sure that I was showing up and representing her. So when it came to Ms. Brown and her use of microaggressions, the English teacher, Winston A was in middle school who used his position to bully other students, the math teacher who didn't care to build relationship and was allowed to be reckless in his communication with parents, or even that gatekeeper who intentionally tried to deny Sine from entering a college program that would give her an associate's, which by the way, she did end up earning. I was gonna show up. I was gonna ask questions and I was going to ensure that I wasn't gonna make people feel comfortable shortchanging my child. And lastly, it took my health to decline for me to really get the therapy I needed and ultimately leaving my position as a principal to recognize that I was teaching my daughter the quote-unquote definition of what it is to be a strong black woman. Like we must be the saviors. We have to push through traumas that come with disrespect that causes physical and mental harm and working long and exhaustive hours because we need to prove ourselves worthy. I was becoming the representation for her on how to exist in and through toxicity. And that was a wake up call because that's not what I want for her. And that's certainly not something that I ever deserved. So remember your loved ones and understand how much they need you to be well. Let this be a reminder that what you want for children, you know, this, their safety, their ability to thrive and to be well, you can't want those things for them and not prioritize it for yourself. So choose you, because when you do, it will force you to create healthy boundaries. It will preserve your well-being, and it allows you not only to be good to yourself, but those you love. I look forward to sharing the second part of this conversation. Until then, I want you to be well and take gentle care of yourself. Thank you for serving time with me here in detention. Don't forget to subscribe and to tell a friend so that this way you're up to date on new episodes that will drop every week. You can also follow us on Instagram at Detention Podcast. If you want to learn more about my services as a coach, consultant, and keynote speaker, go to www.thelopezeffect.com. And let's stay connected on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by following me on my handle, The Lopez Effect. Lastly, if you have any topic ideas, questions or comments, or want to sponsor future episodes, please send me an email at detentionwithdrnadialopez at gmail.com. All of this information will be in the show notes, so don't worry if you didn't get it down. I also want to send a gentle reminder to my disruptors and rebels. It's okay for us to get into a little bit of good trouble, but please take gentle care of yourself, be well, and never forget to choose you.